0: However you're tuning in or wherever you are, it's my prayer that what you hear helps you to love God, His Word, His Spirit, His Church, and the people you interact with each and every day. Thanks again for listening, and may the grace of God fill your heart as you listen to the following message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, just a, a wonderful time of worship and the grace of God to be able to gather on a Friday night and just lift up your name, lift up the name of Jesus. Lord, we're we're so grateful for what you've done, how you've laid your life down for us, how you've journeyed to the cross, and we're going to look at that tonight. So Holy Spirit, illuminate some of the aspects of what transpired there at the cross, and in particular, the prayers you prayed. Holy Spirit, just give fresh illumination to these words that uh, Jesus lifted up while on the cross. Uh, Give us ears that hear tonight, Lord, and help me uh, to communicate your heart tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So we all got notes? We all get notes, okay. Okay. Let's see here. I think we're, I think we're good to go. I want to make sure I got. We'll, we'll we'll try to land this at about midnight for Curtis because I know he wants me to go long. But that might not be. That might just be short, right? Yeah, that too short. Too short. Okay. Well, tonight. Oh, yeah. What was that? Six, 6 a.m. deadline. Not... So okay, six a.m. We gotta we gotta end it. I do want to say, Andre, I'm so encouraged seeing you pray for that map. I mean, whenever you're in here, I always see you just interceding, just putting your hand on that map, praying for the world, and I just uh, I wanted you to know I was encouraged by you tonight, man. And uh, just keep praying. Uh, I think it was Epaphras that no, no one talks about this guy, but he was the one guy that Paul said of Epaphras, he said, he is always laboring fervently in prayer. And I just thought of you tonight, you're like a Epaphras, just laboring fervently there. So who knows how the world changes just by one man just standing in the gap. And... But, uh, but yeah, tonight we're going to look at Jesus' prayer. He prayed a couple things and he said a number of things, but we're calling this, the title is Father Forgive Them it's a good friday 2023 father forgive them and that is directly out of luke 23 34 so skip down to number two there on the notes and you'll see that there are eight things that jesus said while he's on the cross i mean that's it's pretty remarkable when you think about it i mean if you're nailed to a cross and you're dying I mean I'm not sure how many conversations I'm going to want to have or how many things I'm going to want to say but there are eight recorded statements eight unique statements I should say eight unique statements and I have them listed there Uh, in Matthew he says that the well-known you know my God why have you forsaken me quoting Psalm 22 Mark records that so Matthew and Mark record that Luke Gives us three different things. John gives us four statements Jesus said, and even what's interesting about those eight unique statements is that I believe three of them were to were spoken to the Father in prayer, and the others, the other five, I believe, were spoken to uh, people or just made a he made a comment. And so there's an interesting study. If you ever want to just do something interesting and you have some free time. Study into all the things Jesus said when he was on the cross. I think they're all very significant. They're all written there. But I want to focus our attention on this one prayer that I think it it speaks volumes. Books could be written on this one prayer. Commentaries. I mean, we'll probably hear many teachings in the age to come on why Jesus said this specific statement. But before he died, we're going we're to touch on a few reasons I think he said this, but there's many more that, of course, we're not aware of, and the Holy Spirit will reveal in this life, and, and then many in the, in the next life. But in Luke 23, 34, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. He's dying there. He's, his life is leaving his body. He's at the very end. And yet, perhaps there's this urge at the very last moments of his life to be unforgiving. To be bitter at what's happening in in his life and to him. And so I want to I want to develop this tonight. It's a very powerful thought when you dig into it. And we're going to look at the, the prayer of forgiveness that he actually prays and then the perspective of forgiveness, so three three main subpoints, and then the power of forgiveness. This is just it's incredible to me to look at these things. But the prayer of forgiveness Jesus is at the very end of his life. I mean, he could have been like, I did it. Oh my gosh, yay. You know, he could have said anything, but he didn't. The things God would say in this moment are so instructive. And one of them, once again, Father, I want you to forgive these people that are doing this to me because I know they don't know what they're doing. And this prayer is going to motivate the whole movement that's about to unleash on the earth, the whole Christian movement will be motivated by these very words. So he's, he's in essence already planting DNA into the people that are observing him, that in my most broken, weak moment, I am going to say, I forgive. I have suffered the greatest injustice in human history, past, present, and future, because no one's been God and killed. No one else can claim to be that holy. I mean, there's a lot of injustice in the earth, but there's nothing that compares to the Lord of glory, God himself, being crucified, because he was the only one that truly never sinned. And so the greatest injustice ever perpetrated on anyone, here He is, and what does He do? Does He say, I promise to take vengeance on the human race. I promise to get even. No, He says, I forgive them, Father, forgive them. Because I know they don't get what's really happening. And we get a sneak peek into Paul develops that thought. He says, He and I'll get to this later, but if Paul says if they would have known what they were doing, they wouldn't have crucified Him. Because the crucifixion absolutely crushed and pulverized Satan and every demonic force for all time. And if the people that were the agents of darkness in human flesh, if the people knew that this was going to destroy the hierarchy of demonic realms, they wouldn't have done it. But this was the master plan that God would be crushed so everyone who believes in Him by faith can be saved. And so they just had... It's like the, the covers were pulled over them. And Jesus is saying, I know they don't understand the master plan. Or I wouldn't even be here. So, Father, be, be merciful to them. Forgive them. And you could look at this from a theological point, and, and I am touching on that a little, but but really, if you think about it on a personal level, Jesus was perhaps wrestling with this last temptation because we know Christ was tempted. He went through that season where the enemy tried to say, "Hey, if you just throw yourself off, the angels will get you." Or, hey, Turn this into bread, and he went through that season of heightened temptation, but. He was touched with temptation throughout his life, just like we are. He suffered and he was tempted and all kinds of things happened to him just like they happened to us. And so at the very end the very end the enemy's trying to Oh Jesus, this is such an injustice. Just just don't forgive them. Just take this bitterness to the grave. You deserve to. You're God and they're mistreating you and so Take it all the way to the grave. Don't forgive them. Just be bitter. And Jesus goes, No. Even though I'm just, I can barely even function right now, I forgive them. I choose to forgive. Father, forgive them. I think it's so powerful. Maybe it was his very last temptation, praying for forgiveness of those who who were crucifying him. That included, that's many groups of people. The Roman soldiers were doing the dirty work. Okay, the Roman soldiers were the ones that actually nailed him to the cross. But it was the religious system that ultimately kind of put him up to to do this. So the Jewish religious system mixed together with these Roman soldiers and the Roman government, but also... There were government officials. There was people in, in places of authority that were involved, and this was his countrymen and countrywomen. This was the, the people of Israel. They, they were his people. All of these layers of groups crucified Jesus, and so he's when he's saying, "I forgive them," or "Father, forgive them." He's talking about all these people, and he's even there's another layer. He's were involved in this as well because ultimately it was our sin that necessitated him going to the cross and so he's saying father forgive those men that are nailing me to the cross father forgive those pharisees and all the religious leadership and he's saying father forgive uh, all the different governmental authority figures that that are doing this to me and uh, you know he it's like he's just the whole ball of wax that involved, that is involved in Him being crucified, He says, Father, forgive them all. He commits... See, the, the thing is, when we forgive, then we place vengeance in more capable hands. When we live our life trying to get vengeance constantly and trying to get even and, and trying to avenge ourselves, God steps back. But if we forgive then that's when we place all of that vengeance into God's capable hands and He exacts it in His perfect will, in His perfect way. And so it's always, always best to take that temptation to be vengeful and say, God, You do whatever You think is best. And Jesus just put it all in His Father's hands, knowing, it says in Matthew 5, 44-45, The Father is merciful to evil people. He's merciful to good. He's merciful to evil. He's merciful to the just and the unjust. And so Jesus says, I am not taking this to the grave. I'm giving this to my Father. And the Father is, however He sees fit, to have mercy or to exact vengeance, however He sees fit, I give it to Him. And that's the posture we take as well as as His followers, as Christ followers. Let me say this, praying for persecutors. So he was in essence praying for his persecutors. It's a way of loving our enemies. How do we love our enemies? We pray for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And it's an evidence that we're sons. It's an evidence of mature sonship. When we understand that we're sons and we're daughters of God the Father, we just we relinquish these things to Him. You know, if you don't know God, you spend your whole life trying to get even. And you spend your whole life trying to, you know, whatever, whoever wronged you, you wrong them back. Because you don't have, you don't believe God's up there taking care of you. And so it's this whole cycle of vengeance because who's looking out for me? i got to look out for myself because no one is. But when you're a, when you understand you're a son or a daughter of God the Father, you understand He's looking out for you in the best way. And so you just say, Father, I forgive them. Do whatever you think is right. And we just say, Lord, have mercy. It's so important that we learn just the the heart of Jesus in this moment. You know, I, I, I like good movies. And it's interesting, in Hollywood, you know, basically the plot of most action movies is vengeance. You know, someone got killed or some family member got kidnapped, so I'm going to take vengeance on the bad guy. And I'm going to get even, and I'm going to take out their whole family. And, you know, that's that's a that makes for a good movie, and that's kind of how it is in our culture. But in the kingdom, in the ways of God, Jesus says, I just forgive you, and I want my Father to do to you however he sees fit, and I just take my hands off the, the vengeance button. I want to encourage all of us, if there's anyone in our life that comes to mind as I'm talking about this, and you're feeling like, ooh, there's vengeance there, there's unforgiveness, there's, there's bitterness, there's, there's a grudge that I can't get, just say, Father, I give this to you, forgive them, I release them. There's so much wisdom in doing that because He steps in. We we will make a mess of the situation. God won't. We we don't do good at vengeance. We don't do good at exacting justice in a situation, but God does perfectly. Man, when we have a vengeful heart, we want people to get hurt. God wants them to get saved. I mean, I just... There's so many... Th- stories in the bible we're going to look at some of these but it's just man there's so much power there's so much authority when we when we take this posture father forgive them for they do not know what they do let's go down to number 2 this perspective of forgiveness it says here jesus realized there were spiritual realities transpiring that nobody could comprehend like he could How many know that that the Christ understood the cross more than anybody else? He not only went to the cross, but he understood what was happening far beyond even Paul. Far beyond any theologian, Jesus knew what was happening. And so he had a perspective that was uh, nobody else could have understood more clearly and he knew like i mentioned before he knew that there was a spiritual ignorance played in his sacrificial death otherwise like i mentioned if everybody knew what they were doing the crucif the, the jesus being crucified would not have happened and paul touched on this in 1 corinthians 2 6 through 8 he says this however we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Paul is saying if the people who were ruling in a a position of of governmental authority, if they knew what was really happening, wouldn't have done it. And I think if the enemy even fully knew, if Satan even fully knew what was happening, he wouldn't have inspired this to happen because he's thinking, I'm going to take the Son of God out. And if the Son of God's taken out, then... There can't be a Messiah. There can't be, you know, there, there, there can't be Israel can't have a, a Messiah come uh, a second time. And, and it just throws off every promise that has to do with this, this Jewish Messiah. And, and so then he can't rule and reign in Jerusalem. And then it just, he, Satan thinks he has this all figured out. I'm just going to kill the son. Completely backfires. It's all part of the plan. Surprise. This one that you killed actually got victory over death itself through this master plan. And now he breaks out of the grave more powerful than ever. Unbelievable. Jesus had this perspective. He knew that he had to go to the cross and be this sacrificial offering, this Lamb of God, who is slain for all for the sin of the world, for anybody who would believe in Him. And He knew He was going to get raised from the dead. He knew He was going to be exalted to His Father's right hand. He knew He was going to rule forevermore over a kingdom. He knew He was going to be this priest, uh, the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. He knew He would have this unique authority with His Father, and He would, He would, uh, uh, you know. Exercise that authority through an intercessory ministry. He knew all these things were going to happen. And because he knew all this, he could posture himself so humbly and say, Father, forgive them. They don't have a clue what's happening. This poor guy nailing me to the cross doesn't have a clue the most basic theological point, let alone the hidden mysteries of the cross that is going to just unleash a torrential downpour of power for the rest of the age, like they, they he just knows they don't have a clue. And so Father forgive them, that's his heart. This is what I wrote. Forgiveness is what we would do if we knew what God knew about our situation. Because here's the thing. Jesus knew what was happening. And so he says, here's what makes sense. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I do know what's happening, and so I choose forgiveness. But we don't. We don't know what's happening in a given situation usually. So by faith, we forgive. We, we know intuitively forgiveness is always best. We don't see everything that's happening. But we know by faith forgiveness is always best. I just think that's an interesting point. Jesus knew everything that was going on, and so his response was to, Father, forgive them. And so we go, okay, there's the template right there. I don't know what's going on, but by faith I forgive. I know it's best. Keep that feather in your cap. That's, important. that's an important thought. Forgiveness is what we would choose if we knew everything. If we could see all the spiritual dynamics happening... And all the people that would be touched and all the ramifications, we would just say, Father, forgive them. They, they don't see it. I don't see it. They don't see it. There is a prayer of forgiveness. There is a perspective of forgiveness. And there is a power of forgiveness. This is my favorite part of the sermon. Because Jesus chose to forgive. I mean, He's up on that cross. He's dying. He's suffocating. There's so much going wrong. He's bleeding out. I mean, His body's mutilated. Most of us have seen the passion of the Christ. I, don't, I think that does it somewhat justice, but the man was you know, nearly killed on top of killed, and he's on the cross. In Mark 15, verse 39, this is what Mark records. The centurion... This is the Roman soldier who's standing opposite him. He's looking up at Jesus. Jesus dying on the cross in between. There's a a thief on each side of him, Jesus in the middle. There's a Roman centurion on the other side of him looking at him. Jesus had cried out, it's finished, and then he dies. And this centurion says that when he saw that Jesus cried out like this, and breathed his last, he just witnessed Jesus die, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus died so well, it converted this guy. You ever thought about that? In his most broken, agonized state, the way he carried himself in his most profound season of suffering fathomable, Because He spoke with redemption toward the thief that was mocking Him, you'll be with me in paradise. And because He forgave the people who were murdering Him, and because He was saying things like, John, take care of my mother. Mother, this is now your son, let him take care of you. Because of the way He handled Himself on the cross, this man said that was God. Isn't that amazing? The way Jesus died brought people to Jesus. I mean, that's amazing. Have you ever thought about that? The way I die, I want that to bring people to Christ? This is what the testimony, someone watching. This is the thing about A Roman crucifixion, okay? It's not like, uh, you know, when we think of capital punishment, I mean, there's still many states in America that practice capital punishment, and usually it's going to be about two or three different things. We used to hang people, but that was considered to be inhumane. There's a lot of things we used to do. I'm glad we don't. We don't want to glorify death any more than we need to. Um, but we'll do uh, in America. There will be an injection that will stop the heart. There will be um, electrocution. I think in some cases, but typically it's very. There's a humanity to it. We don't want to just. I think there's actually firing squads that are that are permitted in some states. I am not an expert on this, but that to me is like eh, it's a little overkill. But Roman execution, th- it is nothing like. What we would do right now in most of the the modern world, or the democratic world, I should say. So when you are a criminal and you're condemned to crucifixion, you're going to hang there for hours, slowly dying. And there's people just walking around, just talking to you, smocking you. There's huge crowds that are just, I mean, here you are, you're just crucified, got nails to you, you're just kind of up there, and you're, you're slowly breathing worse and worse, you're bleeding, you're sweating, you're terribly thirsty, and all these emotions, and oh, I'm dying, and then there's people mocking you, and then there's so, I mean, it's torture, it, this could take many hours, in fact, we know from scripture, it, it would take so long, they would come and they would break your legs. So that you couldn't hold yourself up to to get breath, they would often just crush your legs and so you'd just, you just you'd just suffocate and die quicker because it would take so long for many of these people. Can you imagine that? Just imagine that's how they did it you're dying on the cross for hours and hours people. Watching you, just like what's he going to do? Is he going to, is he going to call on Elijah? Is he going to curse God, or is he going to, is he going to say I hate Rome, or I I renounce the the Jewish faith? Or you know? What's he going to do? What's he going to say? People are wondering. There's all kinds of psychological dynamics happening. Is he going to say something controversial? What are his last words going to be? You know, they're they're it's just. Again, we know there was many people. I mean, even his, his close family and his followers, there was a bunch of Marys there, all watching. Well, we, we believed he's God. Maybe he's going to just get off the cross by a miracle. We don't, we don't know what to believe. And all kinds of groups that are there. What's he going to do? There was this profound physical... Psycholog- psychological agony. And yet the behavior, the Christ-like behavior of Jesus, it kind of seems interesting to say it that way, the Christ-like behavior of Christ, the way that he, ex- His character just came out. I mean, here's the thing. When you try to slice Jesus, Jesus comes out. When you pierce Jesus with nails, Jesus comes out. There's nothing else. Like like if you hit me, I might get, ah, I get, anger comes out. If you try to kill God, the thing that comes out is God. It's just love. There was nothing else other than love, mercy, forgiveness, graciousness, humility, thoughtfulness. I mean, the man is literally dying on the cross going, okay John, take care of my mom. Mom, John's gonna take look what? I wouldn't be thinking of any of these things if I'm slowly dying. The Christ-like behavior Jesus exuded during those last hours convinced at least one person, probably more, but we have at least one written record of someone saying yeah that was God. That, that was the son of God. I'm convinced of it. I don't know if this man became a disciple or how devoted he became but we know this he was convinced that's God. Maybe we'll meet one day and we'll find out, oh my goodness you are in. Wow. Don't want to take that too far but we this is this was his statement. He said truly Truly, this man was the Son of God. We just killed God. Oh my gosh. Let's think of it in another way. Jesus suffered so well that it brought someone to Jesus. Jesus suffered so well on the cross that someone goes, that's God. Incredible. So here is the application that begs the question, can people look on us... You and me, can people look on when we suffer and go through hard times and go, you know what? I know they're going through it, but man, I see Jesus in their life. I know they're going through it, but the way they're responding, I know they're not perfect. No one's perfect except the perfect one, Jesus. But I see that they love God and it inspires me you know because we're all going to go through it in different seasons we're all going to have those times where we didn't know it was but here it is and it's could be this or that could be many different things but when it when it really came to it Jesus dying on the cross he responded like I mean it kind of seems a little bit silly to say it that way but but Jesus said pick up your cross and so when we go through those heavy Difficult seasons of suffering. There's unexplained things happening. We don't understand it all. Can people look on and go, yeah, I mean, no one does it perfect, but man, I, I can just see they're still going. They still love Him, and I just see Christ. Here's the truth as we follow the Lord, we're going to suffer. In fact, it's an evidence of our growing maturity. As we follow Him, we go from just believing to there's times where we're going to enter into what's called the sufferings of Christ. It's, it's what we enter into as we mature and we don't, you know, go through heavy suffering seasons our whole life. I mean, that's that's the exception, not the, that, not the rule, but we, I, I think virtually everybody will at least touch some level of suffering in their life. I mean, when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. It doesn't sound like go on a vacation and follow me. I mean, there's going to be a cross element to our faith. And it's gonna, and Jesus says, in those times, keep going, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. I mean, I know we sort of Americanize and sort of whitewash that, but the cross is very, very... <laughs> I mean, here it is, he's, he's dying on a cross, and, and, and that's, it's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of just complete surrender. Can people look on my life and your life and go, man, I know they're going through hard stuff, but they're reaching, they're seeking to follow the Lord even though it's hard. Now think of this in Acts chapter 7. So Jesus prays this prayer. He knows it's going to be He knows it's going to be important because what's going to happen the church is born shortly after, right? Acts chapter 1 and 2 the church is born. And as soon as the church is born, the same powers and authorities and principalities and demonic hosts that wanted Jesus dead, now they want the church of Jesus dead. Right? Because Jesus said, they, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. They hate me, they hate you. They don't like my words, they don't like your words. And so here we go early on in the, in the movement of the spirit, you know, as the church is growing, we get to Acts chapter 7. Stephen, man, what a what an incredible figure. Stephen begins, you know, he just basically wanted to help out, and all of a sudden now he's doing signs and wonders, he's preaching. And they say, we can't have this. We can't have a man with this kind of miracles and preaching and disturbing the peace, and so we're going to take him out. So they stone Stephen. I'm sure a lot of people said, why would God let that happen? Stephen was just a young man. He was zealous. He had a whole life in front of him. But they stone him. And as they're stoning him, it says this. This is what John records in, his, uh, in the book of Acts. John wrote Acts. I'm sorry, it was Luke, right? Luke, Luke wrote Acts. About got ahead of myself there. Luke wrote Luke and Acts. John wrote John, and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. Okay, just wanted to clarify that. While they were stoning him, Luke says, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out. What does he cry out? Make sure you take vengeance on them, God. Whatever they do to me, do double to them and their children. What does he say? God crushed the Roman Empire. Destroy this false religious system. What does he say? He says what Jesus said. And why does he say what Jesus said? Because what Jesus said became famous. Who would say that on a cross? Because everybody else that's been crucified just curses and condemns until their very last breath. But this Messiah, it says on the sign in three languages. If you could read all three, it was a triune testament. Okay? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the jews jesus of nazareth king of the jews jesus of nazareth king of the jews it said it in aramaic it said it is said it in greek it said it in in, in uh, three different languages this guy's different and we know it for sure nobody dies like that there's something different about him that's god And when he prayed, Father, forgive them, everybody heard that, everybody knew. And so now that everybody who dies unjustly from this point forward, they're doing it. And thus the difference between Christianity and every other movement on earth. When a Christian is dying, we don't condemn the culture and the Roman authority or the government or the religious system or my countrymen or countrywomen or my nation, we say, Father, forgive them. I put them in your hands. I know you're merciful even to evil people. I give it all to you. My very last breath is, I forgive. Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew that there was DNA being released into his movement, and it's different than any other movement. It was not going to be based on vengeance. It was not going to be based on a sword. It was not going to be people repaying evil for evil, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, until the whole human race is eradicated, and nuclear bombs are dropped all over the earth until there's nobody left. No, this movement, this Christian movement, has something different Deeper. It's this heartbeat of we let go completely of any grudge, anything, any ill will, we just completely give it to God. Even my last breath, forgive them oh, get hit, you know, hit in the face with a stone, I'm dead. I can't really relate to this other than just a week ago there was a devastating massacre in a school shooting and children were killed. And then the very next week, that church met together. And, and, and from their pulpit, this was stated. This was what was stated in that church service. Because you guys know the school I'm talking about in Nashville. There was this gun, this uh, person who went in and took the lives of, of children and teachers. And it was just horrific. And you know, our culture, every time this happens, the culture is inflamed with uh, all these debates. But the church where it happened, they met the very next week in a different building. And I don't know who the preacher was. But they said, you know, many people would say, God, how could you let this happen? But what we say as Christians is, God, how long? How long until you come again? Christians are different. Christians are supposed to be different. And this is the very heart of it right here. This is what we talk about on Good Friday. Yes, we talk about Jesus dying for our sins. Yes, we talk about the cross. But the cross has become so cliche in our culture and even in the church. The cross has really potent meaning. And really at the, at the very foundation of the cross... There's this heart of God. I did nothing wrong to deserve this. But crush me instead of them. I forgive them. Do it. I'll take all of it. I'll take all of the sin of Israel. All of the sin of Rome. All of the sin of my persecutors. All of the sin of of biblical past and biblical future. I will take everything. Every single sin on me. God, forgive them all. Please, let my life be a substitute. Let anybody who believes in me have eternal life with us. Father, forgive them. You know, I, I, I think sometimes if someone did something very devastating to one of my kids... I'd have a hard time forgiving. If someone did something really horrific, and we're, we live in a world where horrific things happen normally, but on that cross, Jesus became every horrific act ever done and that ever would be done in one moment. I mean, I just can't fathom it. And Jesus said... I I'm not wrong, but I'm willing to be wrong for for the human race. Father, let me take it so that everyone can be forgiven. I don't think, I think it's going to take us a while in heaven to fully grasp the weight of what Jesus endured. But we're going to get to heaven one day, we're going to take a few classes, and we're going to be like, okay, teach me the doctrine of the cross again, like the weighty, the deep stuff, and he's going to go, oh boy, what I took on me, you can't comprehend. Because it was every sin, of every sinner, every crime, every injustice, every murder, every rape... Every disgusting thing ever done, I became that and God crushed me with his wrath so that no one would have to endure that. I mean, can you imagine dying for billions of people and becoming the actual sin? He became that monster of sin that God would crush in our place. I just can't imagine this. I can't I can't wrap my mind around this. But in that moment of just devastation, we're where Jesus prayed, Father, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Whatever was fully transpiring right there, at the very end, before he gives up his last breath, forgive them. Oh. <laughs> you know, like to the end. Here's my exhortation. I've kind of veered around in this sermon, touching on this and that, but let's look at this example the example that Stephen picked up and said, if they, if they try to crush me, I'm going to forgive them. Could we be a community that forgives no matter what to the end, to our very last breath? I want to struggle with that. I want to invite you to struggle with that. Could I be a person who forgives fully whatever comes my way? And to be that kind of person who says, I, Father, forgive them. And I want to suffer, I want to I wrestle with that in a way that people are looking on going, you know what, I see Christ because of the way they handle that. Here's the thing, when the church is a forgiving body of believers, people look on and go, I want that Jesus. When people look on and see Christians biting and devouring each other, People look on and go, I don't want that. That's like, ugh. But when there's like a, a humble, redemptive, forgiving heart. One last point and then I'll close. You remember the parable Jesus said about the one guy who was like forgiven of all that debt and then he turned around and he's like, hey, you over there, repay me my 20 bucks right now. You remember that? It didn't really go like that. We have to remember tonight the debt Jesus forgave us was like a trillion dollars. Like our sin that Jesus took on at the cross, like my sin, maybe it was two trillion. For you, maybe a trillion. Me, it was two trillion. You know, just absurd amount of sinful monetary debt. And He just wipes it clean. How could I then turn around and go, oh, that little thing you did to me, I will never forget. To the day I die, to my very last breath, I will remember and I will hate you for it. How could we do that? When He became sin for us and took our place, we can't do this. I'm kind of preaching to myself, can I do that for a minute? (laughs) But I'm preaching to us too. Let us be those believers who no matter what our culture does to us, no matter what the government, no matter what the world, no matter what this group or that group or even another segment of the church, we always find the grace to say, Father, forgive them. Please be merciful to them. Please turn them to you. Oh my goodness, because here's the secret. If we are those people, guess what happens? We get God's intervention. God will vindicate us. We think, oh, poor Jesus, he was crushed. No, no, it wasn't poor Jesus. He broke out of that grave in three days. Far more powerful than death now. I mean, he came out of that grave like Superman, but an infinity times beyond that. And he says, where should I sit now, Father? Right at my right hand. You have authority over the earth now. And so... When we forgive and let go, it might look like, oh, you little poor little Christian always just being so meek and forgiving. No, there's an authority on that life that God honors. And God says, now I will vindicate you. I will honor you. I will take care of the matter in the way I deem most... And God's very merciful. So a lot of times what happens... And, and, and again, I know I said I'm closing, but just pre-close here. In the instance of Saul of Tarsus, this is just one biblical example. They had many opportunities as an early church to say, I forgive Saul. Lord, we, we, we see him devastating the church. Father, forgive them, Forgive them. Uh, forgive him for what he's doing, but please convert him. He found himself on the hit list, is what I'm getting at. When people who are very evil start to afflict us, friend, it's time to pray and it's time to forgive and then they go straight to the top ten of the Jesus Most Wanted list, they get saved. I've said said this often, some Christians are scared because they're scared of persecution, but it's far more dangerous to be a persecutor. If you are a persecutor of the church of Jesus Christ, I just guarantee you one thing, you're going to get saved. It's just how it works. The people who get most hateful if, if you just hate Jesus and Christians, I would keep your mouth shut. Because here's what happens. You start to get angry. You start to persecute. You start to go into schools and shoot up Christian schools and, and martyr children. And then all of a sudden... Every, everybody within your sphere of influence starts turning to Christ and they become apostles. They become messengers. They, the God just sends the wrecking ball of redemption. And He just blows up the whole plan of the enemy. Here's the thing. There is a whole host of persecutors that are going to come into the kingdom. And so it's so important that we don't live our life trying to get vengeance about every, through everybody who wronged us because many of them are going to turn to Christ through our kindness. Saul of Tarsus, man, they just kept praying for him. They kept forgiving him. And then the wrecking ball showed up on the road to Damascus. Blew him right off his little horse or whatever he was riding on. Knocked him to the ground and said, By the way, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And that has continued to happen throughout history. Our responsibility, we stay humble We forgive, we pray, and we let God deal with them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Let that be our prayer tonight. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we stand in awe of who you are. And we are so grateful for your sacrificial, atoning death. Thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for what you did 2,000 years ago. You did not start a movement of vengeance. You did not start a movement where we forever play, how can I get you back now? You started a movement that was based in love and forgiveness. And so I just pray tonight for my friends that are in this room and perhaps listening in social media or on the recording. We pray that you would give us this heart, this heart of forgiveness. Even all of our days, to our very last breath, we would say, Father, forgive them. In Jesus' name, amen. For more messages like this one, please visit our online teaching library at gphop.org teachings. If you found this free material helpful in your walk with God, please prayerfully consider a generous donation. To give, please visit gphop.org donate. That's gphop.org donate. Thank you and may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ richly bless you today.